0: Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Street Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, a.m. 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you like to play golf... Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course and they have an 18-hole car 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m.
1: Riverside hosts the first race of the 1965 NASCAR season. Junior Johnson takes his 65 Ford through turn 9 to complete his qualification run. Johnson's lap is the fastest and puts him on the pole at an average speed of over 102 miles per hour. Foyt gets settled in for the start. Johnson leads with Parnelli Jones in hot pursuit. Parnelli goes wide in turn 9 and takes the lead. Carnelli is first, Junior second, and Ned Jarrett is third. Pre-race favorite Dan Gurney is running eighth. Sam Stanley spins in turn five. Marvin Patch number 21, and Ned Jarrett, number 11, race for third. Parnelli has a lock on first. Gene Davis takes a little different line. Doug Cooper spins in turn five. Billy Cantrell thrills the crowd caution flag bunches the cars up for a restart. Jones leads Johnson, Jarrett, Lorenzen, and Panch. Dan Gurney in number 121 is challenging Jones for the lead. It's important to be ready for anything. Bob Connor spins in turn six. AJ gets the word from his crew that Parnelli is out. Gurney is the new leader. Boyd is second in double zero. Ned Jarrett slams the wall in turn six and is forced to pit for repairs. Suddenly, Jarrett's car explodes and is engulfed in flames. Ned scrambles out of the car and escapes uninjured. Foyt battles Panch in turn six. Gurney and Foyt hold down first and second through turn nine. The crowd loves it. Foyt tries a little too hard in turn eight. Gurney has built a big lead Trouble on the 167th lap Boyd has no brakes And ducks to the inside To avoid Junior Johnson Boyd goes into the dirt At over 100 miles per hour And flips end over end For several hundred feet AJ was lucky to live Through this one After the restart Dan builds a tremendous lead It looks like Gurney Is going to make it Three in a row and takes the checker and wins the Motor Trend 500.
0: Listeners, welcome, and you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, uh, hey, it's going to be a great show tonight, as usual. We've got a couple good songs. we got a really, really fascinating guest coming on this evening. And uh, so it should be a good show. Hey, Cedric, how are you doing? Welcome back to the hey, show this evening.
2: I'm back on Nostalgic Radio and Cars again. Cool beans, huh? a
0: It's been a few weeks. Weeks? Month? Yeah, it's, oh, been, it's
2: been a month and a half or so.
0: All righty. Well, good. All right, let's get her done. any rate, hey, run to your computers and Google Nostalgic Radio and Cars... Actually, uh Tantalk1340.com, that'll work too, right? And you can post exactly. live in the studio here in sparkling downtown Clearwater, okay?
2: Yeah, and so, as we learned from the, the Legal Eagle show, that's Studio 5. This is
0: Studio yeah, 5? Yeah, I don't know where the other studios are, but apparently that's Studio 5. Well, we have three that I know of. I know what they're doing. They're counting all the rooms. Yeah, I guess. That's what it is. Okay, but we have three with microphones, so we have three studios here. So this is a fairly decent studio, and it's a nice studio, wouldn't you say so? Yes, state,
2: state of the state of the art equipment.
0: State of the art if, equipment. If you're judging by
2: 1980 standards, no, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> hey, we have to have some humor once in a while, okay? Hey, let me go into a couple little announcements real quick. How about a big shout out to my friends down there at Forte's. Inboard and Auto Connection down on 66th Street. Give them a call down there at 727-544-6440. That's 727-544-6440. Hey, if you guys got a classic car and you need that car worked on or you need a restoration job or something really unusual, give my friends down there at Fortes Inboard and Auto Connection a call. My friend Dom has been working in cars for 40-plus years. He's got 50-plus years worth of reference material down there, so there is nothing that Dom can't work on. And also, if you've got a ski boat or any kind of boat with an inboard engine, Dom specializes in inboard marine service. So give my friends down there, Dom Forte and his whole family, a call at Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection. That's 727-544-6440. 727-544-6440. And then also, uh, last week I mentioned my friend Doug down at the sign shop. Madeira Beach, and he's making a really, really cool banner to display behind me here in the radio studio. So I've got this window that's behind me that's approximately three feet by six feet, something like that. It's a fairly good size window. But we're going to have this really, really cool banner. So it's going to be really neat with our new logo on it. So anyway, if you guys need a really cool sign made, if you need some banners made, give my friend Doug a call at the sign shop on Madeira Beach, 727-278-9659. That's 727-278-9659. Matter of fact, if you go to our Facebook, you can see a small rendering actually a picture of our uh, new logo also if you call in tonight the ninth caller okay i've got some decals that i'll be giving away these are decals for the back of your car so if you call in the number would be 727-441-3000 727-441-3000 we will give away some decals tonight okay i'll give you a Two of them, because I think I have two extras left, okay? So, but you gotta be the ninth caller, so don't rush, because last week and the week before we had a couple guys that called in, they were like the third, and one guy was like the fifth, and I specifically say the ninth caller, okay? So you have to give yourself a little bit of time, and uh, you might get lucky and you get yourself some, uh, decals. Anyway, hey, what do we got, uh, on that, uh, tape reel tonight? We got on the, on the reel to reel deck
2: back here. We got a few things, uh, queued up. It's, it's, it's your choice. Do you want to hear some Roger Miller? Do you want to hear some Sinatra? What do you want to go with first?
0: Well, considering the, uh, genre of our, uh, our guest this evening i'd probably say something late 50s early 60s something like that okay let's well, do that well,
2: let's let's start out with the roger miller king of, king of the road and we'll we'll go for okay that. king of the road obviously that's good because we're going to
0: be talking about racing yeah a that bit, fits, so, in. Yeah, we, fits in okay cool all right brands. let's
2: do it and we'll be back
3: Trailer for sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes Ah, but two hours of pushin' broom Buys a 8 but four-bit mama I'm a man of means by no means King of the means by no means King of the Road I know every engineer on every train all of the children and all of their names and every handout in every town and every lock that ain't locked when no one's around I sing trailers for sale or rent rooms to let Fifty cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. Ain't got no cigarettes. I uh, but two hours of pushing broom buys a eight by twelve four i from mama. Runs to 50 cents No phone, no boo, no pets I ain't got no cigarettes in the Two hours of pushing boom buys
0: Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing, at 727-447-1952. And be sure and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and
4: you might get a discount. Hi, I'm Corky Coker, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: That's right, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the one, the only, the world-famous all over the Internet. That's right. Hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on this this weekend, too. But uh, we got Zephyr Hills. Okay, so that starts off uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Actually, they'll be loading up tomorrow, or unloading, I should say, the vendors and stuff like that. We got the uh, Target 66 at uh, West Palm Beach International Raceway. That's Brian Redman. Uh, he puts on a vintage racing or a race, kind of a club-type thing, and it's called Target 66. So it's a kind of a venue down at the um, West Palm Beach International Raceway. That's going to be a lot of fun because there's going to be a lot of really, really cool cars down there. Also this week, is the Boca Raton concourse. It's a really, really cool show. So if you've never been to a concourse, this one's not as big as Amelia Island, which will be next month. I think it's the second week of the month, and uh, the 9th, 10th, and 11th in uh, Amelia Island, which is just north of Jacksonville. But the Boca Raton concourse is absolutely superb. Now, I've never been to that. I've been invited a number of times, but I I've always had um, scheduling conflicts. And it is the 50th anniversary of the Cobra. And uh, while we're on the subject of the Cobra, a uh, friend of mine by the name of Jonathan Brunson, okay, Okay. He's a sculptor. He's an artist. Very well known. Well, it's the fifty year golden anniversary of the Cobra, but he's doing kind of like a lifetime achievement award sculpture and it's fascinating. It's uh it's kinda of like a, a big block F E motor, which is basically a four twenty seven Ford. Finned aluminum valve cover with a AC cover on it, kind of at an angle. Um, if you go to Jonathan's I think he's got a Facebook page, uh if not, it will be uploaded on ours a little bit later. So keep that in mind. But anyway, if anybody is interested, contact Jonathan. Actually it's Bronson, B R O N S O N dot period obviously dot jonathan j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n at gmail.com that's bronson dot jonathan at gmail.com what he's doing he's given everybody that is a carol shelby enthusiast an opportunity to have their name inscribed on a plaque that will be given to carol shelby this is a lifetime achievement award sculpture that uh jonathan has come up with and is absolutely superb like i said it will be uploaded on our facebook page later because i don't have it i don't have room for it on my on the uh podcast site right at the moment, but be sure and check that out. So if anybody has an interest in contributing or participating in a special once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get their name entered on a special plaque on this sculpture that would be given to Carol Shelby as a Lifetime Achievement Award, call Jonathan Brunson at 801-735-2648. That's 801-735-2648. This is a super opportunity to have your name on it because it'll be there for life. Okay, Because obviously this is going to wind up in a museum someday. So this is really, really cool. But anyway, he is the honoree at the Boca Raton concourse this year. And he's also going to be one of the honorees at the Amelia Island concourse and probably a number of concourse and events throughout the year because we're commemorating the 50 year of the AC Cobra. And without him, there wouldn't have been no AC Cobras. Right, Cedric? Yeah. And me being a big Shelby guy and, of course, one of the state reps for the Shelby Club. So if you have any information concerning Shelbys, if you know of any barn find Shelbys, if you want to sell a Shelby, if you want to buy a Shelby, feel free to give me a call anytime my number is 727 hey doggy where's that doggy come here Pooch. come here come here boy
2: come here what's my what's my number i'm sorry i don't mean to distract all right everybody remember robert's talking about his phone number i just wanted to say if dave and Lowell are listening how much how much is that doggy in the window is a song by patty page not peggy lee
0: okay patty Page. page You want to play a little bit, a second? Oh, well, anyway. well just, just
2: for a second. I, we have a different song to but Here we go. Just. How
5: much is that doggy in the window?
4: <laughs> the one with the waggly
0: tail. <laughs> <How much> is- <laughs> anyway, back to my phone number, okay, concerning Shelby's or any other cool little cars that are floating around out there. Give me a call at 727-541-1741. And keep in mind, too, I do pre-purchase inspections. I do appraisals. I do consulting and brokering and so on, So if you and I do exporting. So please feel free to give me a call, Robert, at Gulfstream Motorsports. My number, again, is 727-541-1741. You know, I should plug myself every once in a while. Hey, do yes, you, you should. Do we have a drum roll here? I mean, I forgot. Give do me we, a second. You got a drum roll? Just give me a minute. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so let's see what else we got going on. Of course, obviously, I mentioned Amelia Island, which is coming up on the 9th through the 11th. And, of course, next month, we also have the 60th running of Sebring. Okay, I got you. Okay. Yeah, you want it now? Yeah, go ahead, just for drills. Okay, well, we didn't have the final hit there. Oh. Did, he forgot to hit the yeah, snare sorry. drum there, but that's okay. Anyway, so let's see where we're at. Oh, we were talking about the 60th running of Sebring, the 12-hour race, which is going to be fantastic. Speaking of Cobras, there was a number of Cobras uh, that made their mark at Sebring, obviously. And let's see what else. Oh, yeah, we got the St. Pete Grand Prix coming up on the 23rd through the 25th of next month. So that should be pretty interesting. And, of course, this weekend, I believe, is also the Daytona 500. Okay, so having said all that, you guys got a lot of stuff you got to do. You got a lot of things to attend. You know, obviously you can't tend them all, but pick the biggest and the best and be sure and have a lot of fun because the car stuff's pretty cool. Hey, let's go ahead and roll those commercials and let's get our guests on the 10-4. 10-4. Four, four. And uh, it should be fun. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater. Rose Pizzeria, voted number one in the city of Clearwater. They're located at 547 South Fort Harrison Avenue. They have great New York-style pizza, as well as delicious lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs, minicotti, linguine. And if you're in the neighborhood for lunch, they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers. So call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries. Or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino. That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olty create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes. What would you like on your pizza? Call Bro's Pizzeria, 727-441-6025. That's 727-441-6025. And tell them Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach, located at three 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 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Barn Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar & Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar & Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Barn Grill on Clearwater Beach
6: 727-608-2065 That's life That's life That's what all the people say each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race.
4: Hi, this That's is Sam Mimolo of Motorhead Garage on Fox Sports Network. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio in Cars. I thought of quitting,
5: baby. Before you invest in any new car, invest 15 minutes. That's all. 15 minutes in a test drive of Ford's new LTD. We think you'll find it's the best time yet to go Ford. One reason. Quiet. As you know, an LTD with a standard 289 cubic inch V8 and cruisomatic drive rode more quietly in tests than a new Rolls Royce. And that's quiet. Take a minute to look into Ford's fabulous options. The swing-away steering wheel the safety convenience control panel for your greater peace of mind. Discover such standard features on the four-door LTD as center armrest and silent flow ventilation. This is the only low-priced car to provide instant fresh air with the windows up. So take time out for a test drive. You'll see. It's the best time yet, in the best year yet, to go forward.
4: Then a spontaneous thing, too, sort of contagious. (laughs) One fellow drives a Mercury home and pretty soon he has a half a dozen neighbors around all talking about dream car design. Well, Jack, suppose we take a look at that dream car design. Well, there's a beautiful example right over there. Oh, the new convertible cruiser. And it is a real beauty. So that's the model that will do the actual Ace Car honors next Memorial Day. That's right, Ed. We've chosen the convertible cruiser because it most typifies Mercury's dream car design. It's really a knockout. Well, it has the same straightness of lines, uh, the feeling of thickness and mass without bulk. And as you pointed out, Ed, this basic styling found on all Mercurys has captured the imagination of car buyers everywhere. In fact, in order to meet this tremendous buyer demand, we've had to increase our production by 40% for the month of January and February. Actually, right now, we have more people at work building Mercurys than at any time in the history of the Mercury car.
0: All right, we're back. It's just about time to welcome my special guest for the evening, okay? Not enough can be said about this gentleman because he is extremely legendary he's a real american hero he is definitely a world war ii vet he's accomplished amazing feats over there he has five purple hearts to his credit he was under Patton, who's always a big fan of mine for all you world war ii fans this is truly a man of his word it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show tonight the legendary bud moore of bud moore engineering Bud, are you there i'm here I'm how, sure i sure am how you doing there i'm doing real
7: good real good
0: so, I mean, there's, you know, I was doing some research about you, and uh, there's just so much information out there. I mean, you've got just really a fascinating, uh, you've got a fascinating life. You really have, truly.
7: Well, yes, I did have a, fa- I'm still g- having one. My health's in real good shape and all this. And, you know, and uh was in World War II, and uh, they drafted me when I was 18 years old. And uh, I hit the beach June the 6th, 1944 utah beach five o'clock in the morning and i was with general patton and all the way through europe and all the way in when the war was over i was in 12 miles out of pilsen czechoslovakia and i was on the front lines a little over nine months being before i was ever wounded enough to be evacuated and i uh, got shot through the hip with a machine gun on february 22nd that's this day 66 years ago and uh, I got five Purple Hearts while I was there. I got hit by artillery and done all this and all that the whole time I was on the front lines. And uh, anyway, uh, I was with Mr. Patton the whole way, and uh, it was something else to be uh, the war that we were in and what happened and all this stuff. But I was sure glad it was over on May the 8th and all this. And uh, I got to come home, uh, on left there on November the 1st, 1945, and I was discharged on November the fifteenth, nineteen
0: forty-five. Well, you got a sensational yep. memory. That's great. Yeah. What was General Patton? I know this is a car show, and we're going to get into car stuff here in a few minutes. But tell us just one really cool story. Something you know, if you had any kind of you know something neat about General Patton, what was he like?
7: Well, he was a type fella, You know, he believed in <clears throat> doing things a little bit different from a lot of the other generals that was over there. If we had an objective to take, and they'd tell us, say, you know, you're going to take that town over there about a mile, a mile and a half away, and and uh, Patton said, well, let's go get it, and uh, we'd jump off on the attack and take the town, and they thought maybe we should be stopping, but once Patton had the idea, if we ever got the Germans backing up and got them disorganized, we just kick the daylights out of them and make them run them that much harder. And as the generals over, I would say, said tell Patton to go a mile, and he will go thirty. Well, they were right, because we went, we kept going until they'd stop us and this stuff. And uh, this is how it went. And uh, like I say, I, I I don't think there was a guy in the whole Third Army who wouldn't have followed Patton to hell and back. And uh, that's the type of general he was. And he didn't believe in just taking a little bit and stopping and let the Germans get reorganized and had to fight them all over again. He believed he keeping them disorganized and backing up. And Once he got them backing up, we kept them backing up.
0: Now, is it true that he really wanted to go through Germany and go right straight to Russia because he felt that Stalin was a threat as well?
7: Well, I don't know all about that, but I do know this. <laughs> when we broke through Normandy, and they wouldn't let us go into Paris. We went south of Paris and we went all the way, had the Germans running never which way, and we went all the way through the Siegfried Line. We cro- I crossed the Rhine River on a railroad trussel, it was the only thing we could get across on. Picked up a handful of dirt, and I said, "Boys, this is Germany." <laughs> and uh, we went back across the ra- that railroad uh, trussel and uh, got back, and they pulled us all the way back about all the way back through the Siegfried Line and back to uh, right out of Verdun, France, between now and Le Mans. We sat there three weeks, and they wouldn't give us no gas. They stopped us, no ammunition, wouldn't give us nothing. We sat there for three weeks and let the Germans rearm that ZIG feed line and do all the stuff. And They say we lost ten or 12,000 soldiers going through that ZIG feed line again and all this, and we heard the word that came down from Washington that the war was going to be over too quick. That's why they stopped us. But I don't know all that for it was true or not or what, but all I know, we— if we'd have kept going, like like General Patton said, he's going to kill that paper hanging, so and so in Berlin. <laughs> and I think if, I might not be here today, but I tell you one thing: if we'd have had the ammunition, the gasoline, all of them tanks, and everything else that, that was we had. Uh, we'd have went to we'd have went to Berlin.
0: Wow, amazing story! Amazing. Just just I, I would imagine that was just an amazing time. Hey, let's talk about uh, race cars a little bit. So, when you got back from the war how did you what uh you were you were kind of interested in cars before the war right
7: oh yeah we you know we i lived on a farm and it was there was there was 10 of us i had six brothers and three sisters and uh my daddy run grocery stores back in the 30s and uh he had five grocery stores and he, he didn't mind you know letting people have stuff on the credit and all this stuff and He'd he uh he'd take in a car or two and do this and all to pay for the grocery bills and stuff. And we had a couple of 3T models down there on the farm, which was 25 models, 27 models. I don't remember now which. But anyway, we, we cut the bodies off of them, and, and everything made strip-downs out of them. And we had a—me and my brothers, we had a couple of them going, and we'd race one of them all over the farm. My daddy, he'd come in to have lunch every day at 12 o'clock, and he'd check around, you know, what else was going on on the farm. And then he he kept the stores open at 10 o'clock at night, and he would go upstairs and take a nap. So, we was out there when we got out of school at 2 o'clock, and uh, we got home, and we had them T-models out there making a lot of racket. My daddy had already said something about it a couple of times. so he come down upstairs at the house, <laughs> and he got out there and took an axe and chopped my tea model up, and it <laughs> took me about three or four weeks to put it back together, but I'll tell you one thing, we never run them things while he was up there asleep anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we got started in racing in 1947, and uh, me and a friend of mine, Joe Eubanks, and Cotton Owens, and uh, Cotton Owens, was, they were building a race car to run, and uh we happened to be, there's a guy up in Landrum, South Carolina, that had one, and uh, he brought it down, me and Eubanks would run the used car lot together, and he traded it in on a 39-model Ford we had, and uh, we took that race car and set it out there, and I, I told Joe one day, I said, what are we going to do with that thing? This was 1946. and. He said, well, you know, maybe we ought to take it to the racetrack and see if we can run it. So we did. We carried it up to the racetrack, and I got in and run around the racetrack with it. And I went through the fence a couple of times with it. And I said, this ain't for me. And then uh, Eubanks got in it, and Joe got in it, and uh, he started running. He running pretty good with it, and uh, we had to run the Constellation race, we run the Constellation race. He finished fourth, and uh, that gave us a shot to be in the main event. And uh, we ran the main event, and I think we finished seventh in the main event. was a modified show. So we started working with the modifieds and running. Uh, we got to where we were running three shows a week and all this stuff with them. And Bill France Sr., he was running back then in 46 and 47, and uh, he uh, – He'd run against us. We ran with him, and all this stuff, for time or two. And uh, reading what helped get NASCAR started was the fact that France. We'd, we'd run a lot of race. Like I say, we run three races a week, and uh, a lot of times we'd go run a race. And uh, after the race, we'd go get pay off and get our money. The motor would be done run off with the money. And we wouldn't get paid. So that happened to France a couple of times, and he decided, well, we got to do something about it. So. This is when he thought about forming the organization, and uh, so this is how the NASCAR really got started. That uh, France decided that uh, this is what he was going to do, and anyway, the date the NASCAR was formed in December of nineteen forty-seven, and uh, it sure has prospered. And this is where it is today. You see, where it's one of the biggest sports there are in the world, and uh, France really worked hard at it and all this over the years. And we run, a, we won. We won a lot of modified races from 1947 to up through 1950, and uh, then we run the Grand National Cars all through then. I won the Southern 500 with Speedy Thompson in 1956, and uh, I would won the championship with Buck Baker in 1957. We also went on up, and I had Jack Smith with a Pontiac in 1960, and we set a world record in 1960 with Jack Smith on a 250-mile race at Daytona, what they call the Firecracker 250. We averaged 147 miles an hour for that race, and that was something else to do. And we won a lot of races that year with Jack and all this, and uh, 1959, we first ran with Jack with a 59 Chevrolet, and then we went with the Pontiac. then I went with Joe. I had to, Joe Wedley in 1961 and won a lot of races with Joe. Won two championships. Won a championship in '62 and '63 with Wedley and uh, won a lot of races with him. And I lost him at Riverside, California, because of uh, brakes gate problems. And they lost the brakes going in turn sitting and hit the wall. And we lost him. And. So that was a big, bad deal far as we were concerned and all this. But anyway, we finally got over that, and we went back racing and all this and uh, won the Southern 500 in 1966 with Daryl Daringer, and we won the race. Another thing I'll back up, won the race, 19 Southern 500 with Buck Baker in 1960 in a Pontiac, and... and uh, Anyway, as it went along, going all the way up through the years and uh, having all the drivers that drove for me with Dale Earnhardt, Bobby Allison, won the Daytona 500 with Bobby Allison in 1978, and and, uh, we won a lot of races with Benny Parsons, and uh, then I took on Dale Earnhardt in 1982 and had him, we won a lot of races with Dale and all of this. Anyway, as it went all the way up and all this and all the races we won and uh, all the finishes we had, and uh, then after uh, 19, 1996 was our last full sponsorship, and uh, we had trouble finding sponsorship to run anymore. We run some races through 1947, and we hang around 19, 90, 1998 trying to get sponsors, and we run a few races then on our own. and. Finally, I had the the Finleys came in and they wanted to buy a place and uh, they come in and look things over and I, I sold out to the Finleys in 1999 and, and uh, ever since then you know uh, with all the stuff that went on and all and then then getting uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame NASCAR Hall of Fame uh, in the 211 class which I thought was one of the greatest things for me that ever happened. Uh, going in the Hall of Fame with David Pearson and Bobby Allison, two of the drivers that drove race cars for me, and, uh, it's been something, and it's been a wonderful life for me, and I got inducted in the NASCAR, in the, uh, Stock Car Racing Hall of Fame this past Monday night in Daytona Beach, and, uh, so, all in all, <laughs> I've been, it's been real good to me, and racing's been good to me, and, uh, i really enjoyed every minute
0: of it wow that's great hey in case you guys just tuned in i have uh racing legend bud moore on the radio tonight so uh this is gonna be a really great show Bud, let me ask you a couple questions when did you forge your relationship with ford motor company because that was an ongoing thing for what 30 plus years right
7: well we started with ford motor company in uh lincoln american division in the fall of 1963 and uh we stayed with Ford all the way up through, uh, and I lost my sponsorship with Ford in 1996, and uh, this because they hired, hired a new guy came in, and he thought we ought to have been doing better than what we were doing, and this stuff. But we we done what we could, and how we did with what we had to do with, and the money, and all that they were giving us, and all this stuff. So, anyway, I had a good run with Ford Motor Company, and uh, stayed with them all these years, and. Uh, it it was It was something you know to know that uh how well we did with Ford and done all the stuff that we had to do and win races and do a lot of the other stuff that they wanted us to do and all of this and uh, it was a great deal to be with Ford Motor Company as long as we were
0: What were some of the uh now in the sixties there was some controversy over the camera motor okay um, what was that? What's F- that now there was some controversy over the four twenty seven camera motor the single overhead cam motor that they didn't want you guys to run in nascar ford um you know a lot of the drivers protested although chevrolet got away with the mystery motor chrysler had the hemi motor and then when ford came out with something that was fairly competitive which would have been the ford single overhead cam or the sock motor um what was some of the the controversy surrounding that motor? well the
7: biggest controversy over that deal you know chrysler came out with the hemi Mm -hmm. and chevrolet came out with a new type motor so ford wanted to run their new overhead cam motor and, uh, France wouldn't and he said, no way, and they balked it all the deal. And so all the drivers with Holman and Moody and everybody else, they, they, all the Ford drivers, uh, they boycotted NASCAR, and, uh, we were running the Mercurys, and, uh, this was, uh, 64, 65 when all this happened, and, uh, anyway, uh, France come, to, he flew into Spartanburg, and he said, Bud, i got to have them Mercurys running now, I'm running all the rest of the races, because they ain't none of the Ford cars running, and I said, well, all I can tell you, I said, I don't know whether they're going to let us run or not, you know, I said, Ford Motor Company, owns the Lincoln and Mercury, <laughs> so mm-hmm. anyway, uh, I think they decided, you know, to let us run, they never said, it. we went on and started running, we made a deal with France to, to run, and, uh, we started running the rest of the races with Billy Wade and, uh, Daryl Daringer, and, uh, we won a lot of racists in then out. Although we was running again the Hemi's and all this kind of stuff, and uh, with Petty and all. And one of the biggest things and it was a big laugh, and there's a big joke on me about the Hemi. Was it? Lee Petty came up to me and he says, "Well, we go to Daytona Beach, and we gonna set on the pole, and I bet you fifty dollars that you won't." And all this kind of stuff, you know. And I says, "Well, now nah, I don't know about that." And we argued around, so we shook hands on a $50 bet. Well, I didn't know that they were coming out with the Hemi. So we get out to Daytona, and uh, we were running about 174, 175, and they come out with that Hemi, and they started running 177, 178. I said, oh, me, I said, they ain't said one word about running that Hemi and all this kind of stuff. So this is for the boycott that came along. But anyway, we got out there, and... Uh, They draw, we draw to qualify, and I think we were about seventh, eighth to qualify. And so back then, you know, whatever they qualify, whoever qualified the first day, they started ahead of the guys that started behind. I mean, they didn't get to qualify, so they had to qualify the next day. So we qualified, and we had fast time. We are sitting on the pole at that time, and then it started raining. It rained the qualifying out. (laughs) So... Richard and the ones running the Hemi didn't get to run, so they got to run the next day. So we sat on the pole, and they didn't get to. It. And I walked over to Lee and I said, "Well, you owe me fifty bucks." I said, "Now you see that Mercury sitting on the pole." <laughs> That's the only way I could have beat him. It was the way it happened.
0: Wow. Hey, how about uh, safety? There were some safety features uh, that you kind of brought in. I mean, weren't you kind of one of the guys that was originally involved in um, what was it? It was called the uh, the tire liners. You're
7: uh, th- talking about the inner liners.
0: Yeah, the inner liners. Was that one you Yeah, were-
7: we we done all the test work and done a lot of work on uh, getting uh, the inner liner done and making this stuff because everywhere we went, you know, uh, the guy'd blow a tire and hit the wall and tear the car all up, and a lot of guys got hurt. And so we went developing things with Goodyear and all to come out with an inner liner in there, and so that's what we call a tire inner tire. Okay. And. uh... So we've done all the test work. I guess we must have run four or 5,000 miles of testing with that uh, inner liner coming so it would work and all this stuff. And the biggest thing happened to us on that deal, we set up some spikes going into the third corner at Daytona and we was testing and Darrell Daringer was driving. And he, uh, he kept running over the spike and uh, the tire would bust and go down and get on the inner liner and he'd come on and drive right on around to the pits. So this is how it was all done and all the test work that went on it and all this. And uh, that's how right today that, uh, the cars are running that same inner liner and uh, safety shield, as they call it, inside that tire. And it's a tire within a tire. The safety shield inside has got an inner tube in it. And the outside tire is uh, tubeless. Okay. So that's how it works. So if the tire goes down, it sits down on that tire in the tire, and that's how it keeps the saves a lot of wrecks and keeps a lot of people from getting hurt
0: gotcha now what about the shoulder harnesses that was also one of your ideas too right the uh shoulder harnesses? well
7: what happened on the shoulder harness is uh, we were testing at daytona and uh, one of my driver billy wade was driving and we, and, uh, we was down running and uh, for Goodyear, we was running uh we was running the construction part of the tire and that was the body of the tire and uh, something new and we were going to run 10 lap run we run 10 laps and we run around on the ninth lap we gave him one lap to go and he went down to turn one hit that bump going in turn one blow the right front and hit the wall and uh, we lost him when we got down to him he's, the seat belt had came the shoulder harness had jerked the seat belt up real high and him, hurt him so bad on the inside so when we got back to the shop I took the rear window out in one of the cars, and we took a strap and put it underneath the seat, hooked it under the bar underneath the seat, and let it come up between your legs and hook in the middle. And that's what we call a five-point hitch, and we call it a jockey strap. So we put that on there, and we had the sitting band at the back with a rope tied to the shoulder harness jerking on them. and that seat belt, you couldn't move it. So we went on to the racetrack the next week and got there, and we had this... Uh, what we call a jockey strap in, Norris Friel was a NASCAR man at the, over the garage. Area. He'd come over there, and he said, Bud, what's this new seat belt thing you got? And I said, well, it's this thing, keep that shoulder harness from jerking that uh, seat belt up and hurting somebody. And uh, he so well, how does it work? So I got in the car and sat down, hooked it up for him, showed him. He said, "Well, let me look at that." And uh, he got in the car and he poked it all up and so that. And I said, "Now that that seat belt ain't gonna move. And that shoulder harness can jerk on it all I want to, but it ain't gonna. That seat belt's gonna stay right there." So he called some other guys over there and he told every one of them. He said, "Now everybody that have that strap in that car and that race to come to."
0: Wow. That was great, yeah, the five-point harness. Okay, when did you make the transition to uh, Trans Am Ration? That was what, 67, 68, 69, Yeah, well, 70, on the right? Trans
7: Am deal, uh, we still run NASCAR with with Tiny Lund and the Mercury and Mercury uh, and the big Mercury, and uh, so Fran Hernandez, Lincoln, Mercury wanted us to run the Cougars on the Trans Am circuit, and uh, so we... We built two new Cougars to go run, and uh, had Parnell Jones and Dan Gurney and uh, Peter Revson. I think we had three or four different drivers driving for us. and So we won the first three or four races out in a row with it, and uh, so we kept on down, and uh, I think that year out of 11, we won six of them. I'm not sure, but I can check the record and see, but it's somewhere like that. And we got down to the last race, and uh, the problem we had on that deal with the Cougars Hernandez got a wild idea and said, well, you know, we we supposed to weigh 2,700 pounds with with no gasoline, no everything, everything dry. And I, we weighed 2,730, I believe it was. So he got a wild idea to make some new batteries. So he made some real small batteries, about like a motorcycle battery. We put them in there and we picked up about 23 or 24 pounds. And uh, anyway, the last freight we had was in Kent, Washington. And we'd get up there and... We had those little batteries in, and we'd go out and we're leading the race and uh, we brought the first car, the second place car in, and you know when he come in the pits, the driver had to cut the engine off, we filled it up, change the tire, and then had to crank on its own. Well, we brought him in and uh, done that, and uh, when he get ready to leave the pits, it wouldn't crank. so we had to push it behind the wall and put a battery in. It. so we bought Parnett is leading the race, we brought him in. It done the same thing. We lost the championship that year to to Mark Donahue by two points.
0: Oh geez, that's close.
7: So anyway, they wouldn't let us and Ford wouldn't let us run the Cougars in sixty eight because they didn't want that luxury car out running their Mustang. (laughs) (laughs) So they didn't win a race or anything in sixty eight with Carol Shelby and they had a bad year with him and all this. So they hired me in sixty nine to run the Trans Amster in sixty nine and we we had a heck of a year in '69. Um, to this day, every time I talked to Parnell, he said, "Well, if we'd have made Firestone fix them tires, we, we'd have been all right." I said, "Yep, we won five or six races to start with, and then uh, we started having tire troubles, and uh, we had to, when uh, Donahue was running uh, Goodyears, and the rest of them we were running Firestones, and tires, tires kept coming apart, and all this, so." We lost the championship that year and uh, because of the tire situation, but we got finally got Goodyear. I mean, Firestone, they wouldn't do anything to the tires, and I told them, I said, at the end of the year, I said, e, you fix the tires, or we're going to run Goodyear's next year. And they said, oh, there ain't no way you're going to do that. Ford Motor Company runs Firestone. I said, I don't care what Firestone what Ford Motor Company does. They asked me to run and win these races, whatever it takes to win the race. If it's on Goodyear's Firestone, we're going to do one that doesn't. you better fix them. <laughs> so they went out and tested, and they did fix the tire, and we won the championship hands down. I think we won, uh, how many races we won seven, Six or seven or eight? I
0: don't remember. There was a whole bunch of them. I know that.
7: Is I think it? Greg said I think we won seven out of 12.
0: Okay, seven out of 12? That's yeah. pretty good. And then, But anyway,
7: uh, winning the championship with the Trans Am Series, that was a big feat for us and all this. And then uh, anyway, uh, we, you know, and then, Ford pulled out, and gee, all the stock, all the motor car companies pulled out of the Trans Am and then they pulled out a NASCAR too, and all this, and then we pioneered the small block engine. Uh, we worked on the the 351 Cleveland to start with, and uh, finally I talked to France. They was running the 429s with them stricter plates on them. I said, why don't we go to the small block and run the run the small block 350 motor like Chevrolet's got, and the 351 like we got. And, Come up with a deal, and so he. We talked to him about it pretty hard in '73. He said, Well, all right, we're gonna do it. So he told everybody they're gonna be on the small block in '74, and then uh, that's what we did. And we pioneered the small block Ford motor for uh, 351 Cleveland, and uh, we won a lot of races with it during that time. And we had Buck Baker, Buddy Baker, driving for us in '74. Seventy three, seventy four, all the way up through seventy seven. We won Talladega three times in a row and we'd have won the fourth time. Feeder did drove off the jack going out of the pits when we was gassing him up. But anyway that was we run we won three in a row and all this with him. Won a lot of races with Buddy that 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 period and it was a great run, especially, you know, with the small block we were running and uh Especially running in France uh, when they did change over, and everybody has to go to the small block. I think we had just a small, small edge on everybody because we had already been running in '73.
0: Uh huh. What do you think of NASCAR today? And then I, I guess this is the first year they're going to be running fuel injection, right? Or did they run it last year? I don't remember. I think this is the first year, right? Do what now? Is this is the first year that NASCAR I think is going to be running fuel injected motors?
7: Yeah, this is the first year they're going to the fuel injection and. In, uh I was talking to Mike Heldon uh, Monday night down at Daytona, and I'd already talked to Robert Yates boy um, and all this about the the uh, fuel injection and what it did. It really helped the distribution on the engine, and all the cylinders now running the same temperature, and they picked up horsepower, and, and uh, it's going. They got better, going to get better gas mileage and everything else, and uh, it's a big thing, and it's a it's a good thing that they did go to because. It's gonna make the motors live a little bit longer, and it's gonna cost the competitors less money to have to working on the motors and all because it's just gonna work that much better.
0: What do you think of uh, NASCAR today? I mean, what you know in the direction that that it's going and everything like that. What's your take on it?
7: Well, you know they they've done a heck of a job they have since you know we when we lost Earnhardt in two thousand and they got on the kick, you know, making a lot of safety features and all this and. That new seat that they came up with and then all the neck strap that they were using and everything and all the safety features they put in that car and everything else. If they hadn't had the safety features in that car with some of the wrecks that I saw happen, there'd been some other guys that had been hurt pretty bad. And, and uh, NASCAR done a great job on that part. And You had to say one thing, you know, uh, they put on a heck of a good show and uh, they're doing a good job right now with what they're doing and you can't you can't say anything about what's happening because, uh, up till the, this, this little deal going with the economy and all's hurt a little bit, you know, and this and that, but they are still drawing good crowds and putting on a good show.
0: You know, what's interesting is I think they're going to bring back, uh, it's kind of like the Bush class. They're, they're going to bring the, I guess they're going to run the, the Camaro, the Mustang, and the Challenger. Uh, and kind of like the uh, like a uh, like the the next the next class down from the Grand National cars, and I think that racing should be pretty good because those cars people can identify with. The problem with with NASCAR, just from my perspective, is the cars all look alike. They just put decals on them.
7: Well, what they're gonna do now? Uh, Mike Helen told me Monday night that next uh, 2013, whatever the car runs in the in the uh, the uh, Cup Series. Mm-hmm. they got to be a street body type car. If you run the Dodge Charger, it's got to be that type of car. And if you run the, the Taurus, or the Mustang, or whatever they're going to run, it's got to be a stock-bodied car, and uh, you've got to look just like the street model.
0: Well, that's good. That's good. What do you think about the fact that Toyota, and now possibly Honda's thinking about coming into NASCAR, when it's always been pretty much Ford, GM, and Chrysler?
7: Well, you know, Toyota's already in, and right. uh, they're... Uh, I don't know whether any of the uh, other outfits are going to come in or not. It's just hard to say. And uh, uh, all I can say is uh, the more this in, the better the show is going to be.
0: Okay, so in other words, you think it's a good idea because it's going to bring more competition and probably more fans because, you know, obviously more people are interested in different cars. Would that be a fair statement?
7: Well, that'd be a statement, because you stop to figure, you know, there's a lot of the foreign cars now, or, or most all of them, you know, there's foreigners put together up here in Tennessee and uh, Kentucky and around uh, up in there, and, and uh, they're partially a U.S. car, and yet they're still foreign cars and all this, but you stop to figure, uh, I'd say about 50% of the people right today is driving a, a foreign-type car because of the gas mileage and uh, all the stuff that they do and all this, so you start running their type car that they've got, and they're running. It's got to put more people in the stand, and uh, it's going to be a little more competitive for with all the competitors, and it just makes the show that much better.
0: Yeah, that's. I guess you're right. That's true. Um, we got a couple minutes left. Let me ask you one question. Uh, I've often wondered this. Did you guys, cause you I know you race Ford for a number of years, but those, of, and I'm a big Ford fan, okay? But it always seemed like NASCAR favored either GM or Chrysler, and Ford was always perceived as like the stepchild or, uh, you know, as a, well, alright, you know, Ford's there, fine, we gotta have him in, but we're not gonna do them any favors. Is, is there any validity to that?
7: Well, I, I think, you know, uh, if you gotta look at the whole picture, you know, uh, i think when they put the fuel injection on the ford motor that uh i think the ford motor is probably just a little bit better than the gm probably a little bit better than the chrysler motor and also the uh the uh, toyota motor whichever one they're running but anyway uh, i know the whole time i was racing in france he tried everywhere in the world to try to keep everything equal and uh if he gave ford a new manifold and they went out there and they was running better than the Chevrolet or the Chrysler product, then uh, he would give them something to bring them up with uh, the Ford and all this stuff. So he tried to keep everything balanced as near as he could. And it's hard, you know, to do that whenever uh, the guys are working all the time on the engines and this stuff and still staying with the rules and stuff and uh, what they can run and what they can't run and you always gain when I was running. Uh, we worked, with stayed within the rules and all, but yet we still would do a little thing here and there and change the camshaft a little bit around, change the valve angles a little bit, and first one thing done, we pick up another eight to ten horsepower. So everybody else is doing the same thing. So every now and then, one of the Chevrolet would hit us, hit a deal that uh, make it a little, whole lot better than the Ford motor, and Ford would come out and make something a little better than them. So it's it's, it's compared among them. The automobile industry, they all competitive
0: with one another. Okay. Well, anyway, hey, Bub, we're out of time just about, so I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. A Congratulations on your awards, and, uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of yours. You know, obviously I'm a Ford guy and stuff like that, and I wish we had a little bit more time, but I want to thank you again for coming on the radio show tonight, and we'll definitely stay in touch, and I'd love to have you on again sometime because I'd love to talk about some World War II stuff. So would you be willing to do that? Well,
7: uh, I might talk a little more about it, but I don't like the too, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some things, but okay. I, don't want to talk too, I don't want to get too deep into
0: it. Okay. Well, anyway, hey, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. My special guest this evening was Bud Moore, the legendary Bud Moore from Bud Moore Engineering. And, uh, everybody, I want you guys to stay safe, drive carefully, tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hopefully, I'll see you at some of these shows. And, most importantly, go home and love your family, all right? And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We
3: chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there,